Hello, magical beings, and welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy, and I help spiritual adventurers like you remember who you are and why you're here so you can up-level with ease. And today's conversation is with Gia Duke. This woman is love. She radiates love and spreads it everywhere she goes. She is a super bright light. She's the author of Get Your Heart On, the how-to guide for people who want to make a difference. She founded the nonprofit Remix for Foster Youth, has done aid work in Africa, and has worked directly with animal rescue organizations. She's on a mission to brighten the world through creating more love, compassion, and understanding. And I want to give you all a mission. In listening to this podcast, allow yourself to be inspired and then please share the episode and share ways that you see other people spreading love and compassion around this planet. Nothing is too small. How are people brightening each other's days? How are they changing lives? How are they saving wildlife or saving historic places or, or whatever it is? How are they giving food or resources to those in need? How are they making somebody smile? How are they spreading their unique light? Please share your stories, photos, whatever you've got on social media. Let's give this to Instagram. And please tag me at Kelsey Abbott CPC and tag Gia at Gia Duke and hashtag the Find Your Awesome podcast. I cannot wait to see what you guys come up with, what you notice. Let's start a movement. Let's spread love all around this planet. I love you all. Go forth and be awesome. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Gia Duke. I'm so excited for this. Welcome, Gia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. I want to start out with what I noticed is the tagline at the end of your email, and I just love it. You're right. I help people take action to make a difference in the world. Exactly. First, that's yeah. super powerful. And second, just what is it? Where does it come from? You know, it, it, it comes from actually writing my book. Um, my, I just wrote a book called Get Your Heart On. And it was very intentional oh, with the tagline, um, the how-to guide for people who want to make a difference. And it was very intentional that um, while I was writing my book, I ended up, I wrote for about two and a half years. And just, I, my mom was sick and I started writing kind of to heal. And then it turned into... Um, I, okay, I'm done with that. And now I want to do something that's a little bit more, um, I'm going to write inspirational stories, like feel good stuff. Who's made a difference in my life. So I started writing stories about that. And then I thought, well, what was the book I wished I had, or if I was just to write one book ever, because I used to say, I'm so not a writer, it's not my arena. Um, so if I'm going to put the time into this, what's one book, if I could write one thing that would help people from what I've learned through my life and my journey, um, of giving back and, um, kind of going after my heart, what would it be? And it was about action. Like I just wanted people, I wanted the title of my book to 
um, and the tagline that you see on my email, help people make a difference. It, it's not just help people to make a difference, but help people start or, or to act. It was that get your heart on. It was like not be, just be inspired, but go do. So I, I wanted people to go, you know, because so many people think about this, think about making a difference, especially now. It's, it's awesome. Finally, kindness is trendy. <laughs> I love it. It used to be a nice fluff thing. I'd hear a lot like, oh, that's so sweet. Did you see that person did an act of kindness? Or, you know, when I grew up, the only books on the shelf about that were Chicken Soup for the Soul. Did you ever read those books? I don't know if I ever re read it. But you know what they are. I know what it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a series of them. That was kind of like all, like when I would go to the bookshelf looking for inspirational stories, it was about that. And they were all feel-good stories about people that made a difference. They're just short and sweet. And that was amazing. And I, and I could, one of my books in my two and a half years of writing could have been something like that. And I thought, well, this is great. It feels good, but we need more people to do good, you know? And so that's what I love to do is I love to help um, I say the everyday person get inspired and then take action to make a difference in their own way, whatever that looks like to them. It can be big, it can be small. Um, however, they, however they want to do it, I want to help kickstart that for them. So it sounds like you are more instigator than inspirer. Yeah, I can be both. <laughs> it depends. It depends. I love to tell story. I love inspirational stories. So I'm very inspired by story and I love to share those. I've just kind of done that throughout my life. Like if I hear something or someone impacts me or I just read your post on Instagram you posted the other day where you wrote like all these amazing, I don't know, maybe I don't have it memorized, but you yeah, know, the, the wings from the universe. Yes. Yeah. So like share one of those. What was it? You were camping. Um, I was behind a truck in traffic that just had, I love you written yes. in the back. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So I love that you shared that and those stories remind us of how simple it can be. Yeah. And then, and, and that's the inspiration piece. I do love to inspire because I think we need some, we need that. We need another friend of mine, Natalie calls it news of the good. She posts mm -hmm. news of the good on social media. I love it because we, we don't hear news usually is just you know, what's bad in the world. And so I love the inspiration piece, but yes, the catalyst, I see myself, I want people to go. I want people, it's time and we need people so badly right now. <laughs> we so do. How yeah. do you get started? Have you, like, <laughs> did you start as a little kid always doing good? No. Well, you know, it, it's such a hard question for me to sum up. I've been asked a lot. Um, I look back, I think I think one of my things is I always say I'm driven by compassion, empathy, and love have always been my drivers. And I think what I'm, what I mean by that in a deeper sense is that I've always noticed people and even, and as far back as I can remember, it was like high school, middle school, sorry, where I had my first experience of like, where did this come from? And I, there was a, I was on a field trip on a middle school field trip. We were somewhere and we were getting on the bus and a younger classman got on the bus and he walked different because he had a health, um, uh, issue. And he got on the bus and he walked a little different. And I watched him go down the streets and people said mean things to him and scooted over. So he couldn't sit down. And it was, I think that I just remember that as a poignant time in my life of looking at that and going, wow. Like, so I scooted over and he sat next to me and we talked and I still know him. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in his shoes. And I think that's something that's part of who I am. I've always been that person. And I know there's a lot of people that are like that as well, that are, I call it standing in someone's shoes, you know? So what's it? I imagine often, like almost daily, <laughs> what I live in San Francisco. And so I pass by a lot of homeless people on the street and, um, 
just different people. And I think about, or even it doesn't even have to be someone, um, you know, it could be someone in the car that's driving fast and they seem like they're in a hurry and they're flustered. And I might think, wait, wait a second. Like I'm annoyed. You just irritated me. You honked, you know, you rode up on me, but maybe they need to get somewhere that I don't know about. Yeah. Right. And so I always try to, it's not always about being peppy patty, but it's about, I try to stand in the other person's shoes and think about, you know, maybe there's another part of the story. I don't know. And what would it be like? Can I imagine what it might feel like? And so I think it goes back to that, like my heart thing of always connecting to other people and imagining what it'd be like. And then as far as turning it into kind of my life's work, I, I used to say in my 20s that I, I tried to look for a job um, on saving the world. And like, have you ever tried to do that? And this was pre-social media. It was, we had the internet, but it was, you know, like one home computer, no laptops, no cell phones, all that stuff. And the only person I could really look to was Oprah, right? She was the only person that was doing some version of, you know, save the world. I don't even like that term, save the world, because I don't think the world, I, well, I actually do think now the world needs saving, but the, the term was too vast, right? It's like, I don't need to put on my cape. I've learned, you know, that's the rescuer if you're running around trying to save everybody, right? But I did feel like that. I was like, gosh, I go to bed at night. Like my hard story was I would literally go to bed at night and it sounds traumatic, but I would sit there like my life is good. Like, you know, I've got this roof over my head. I've got food on the table, this amazing guy next to me and puppies and, and I'm happy. And I would cry, like tears would run down my eyes and I would think of, all the people that don't have that, people that aren't eating, people that are starving, people, dogs that are sitting in cages that have, you know, one hour till they're, they're put to sleep. And, and I would, it devastated me. So that, I, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but that's yes. where it started. Okay. So, so mm-hmm. I just had these, like I called it like sleepless nights where I would lay awake and then I'd wake up the next day. And, and my pain point was, you know, in my book, I wrote like, damn, that was hard. Like, and I really want to say, fuck, that was hard. Like, it was because I didn't have anyone to relate to. Mm. I didn't know. It wasn't a fun thing. It wasn't something like you go to a dinner party and you're like, you know, I lived in the mountain towns in Truckee and it's like, everyone's like, how many powder runs did you get? And how many miles did you run up the mountain? And I'd be like, did you think about all the animals that died yesterday? You know, like it, it was just like, I didn't know how to engage and like find my people. And, and I didn't have examples of, with, again, remember the internet, the Google is not what it was of people to reach out to that felt similarly. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I didn't know what to do. So I would just sit there with all this um, sadness and I would go along my day and do my thing, do my thing. But I kept feeling like it's not enough. And I would literally see people's faces in my mind. It sounds weird. I would hear their voices like, don't give up, don't stop, don't keep going. And so I couldn't turn it off. And so I just kind of kept following, I say following my heart, listening to my gut. And honestly, it's like never felt like a choice. Um, it's just a part of, a part of me, you know, sometimes I wish I could, I'd tell my husband, you know, I wish I could turn this off. <laughs> sometimes it's daunting and exhausting and draining and overwhelming. And um, so that's what I'm trying to help people avoid is how can you care? and care. And if you care, care in whatever way, shape or form that you do. But if you're really deep like me, how can you care a lot and do your heart work, do your thing that you want to do to make a difference and not take on the whole world that, and remember that we're doing it together. And as I've learned now, 
there's so many of us that do care and you can find community and people and there's millions of examples and you can actually reach out to founders and nonprofits. And eventually I started to meet people that would give me tips or, you know, take me under their wing a little bit um, that would let me meet them over coffee and ask some questions to help me get started on my journey of uh, making a difference in the ways that I chose to. So how do people care deeply, like with deep compassion and not destroy themselves? Yeah. Well, I think I just said a couple of those things are learning that you're not alone. This is not your every problem in the world is not yours to solve. That's the whole, the saving the world that I had to drop the cape. Um, that I, it's, I talk about rescuers mindset versus helpers mindset. And so when I was in, I was in a rescue mode. So I said, I was like, I was running around feeling like I got to go save this dog. Then I got to go help this kid. Then I got to go, how am I going to get to Africa? Cause I saw the commercial on TV and now I'm bawling about the kid with the flies in his eyes. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, never mind that, you know, now I have a son and, and we were going to adopt from foster care and I'm doing all these things, but it was never enough. And I think you, that's me rescuing, right? I'm wanting, I feel like I'm all by myself. And if I don't go help these people, everything's going to, it's, they're going to die. You know, and so switching my mindset, I had to slowly learn, go, okay, so for people is to step in, am I in rescue mode? And rescue mode is really people, if you think about it, people that are rescuers or that's their job, right? You know, people in, that work for the Red Cross, firefighters, police officers, um, anyone in the military, their, their job is to rescue. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they have training to go help them afterwards. And then when they go home, they learn how to function. And helping is you actually, what's great about when you can step into the helper's mode and you remember that you're there to advocate for people. Can you teach somebody? Can you empower somebody? Do they even need help? That was a big thing to learn as not everybody, I call it your blind spot, wants to um, be saved, quote unquote, right? It's like, we can think like, oh, if they just did this and I could so help them with that. And then they, you know, whatever it is, um, they might not want it or need it. And so stepping into the helper's role really gives more power to the person that you're trying to support. We're talking people now, cause it depends. I can't, the environment is different, <laughs> but you know, but like people and, um, and animals are different because they do literally need to be rescued sometimes. So, it's switching that mindset from reminding yourself you're not the rescuer, that you can be the helper, and you're actually more effective. Because when you're in rescue mode, that's when burnout, and I call it compassion exhaustion, just they wipe you out, and then you're not effective at all, and you don't do anything. Yes. So I, I did my coach training through IPEC. Yes. And IPEC, we learn energy levels. Mm-hmm. And level four is the level of love caring. It's very much heart first. It's about fixing things and helping people and doing things like, it's kind of like martyrish doing things for other people. Then level five is about empowering other people because the, and the difference between those two levels is at level four, people and situations are broken. And at level five, people aren't broken. Yeah. And so level four has this really strong loop with like you're giving, 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 and then you're empty. So you need to like, you circle back to level one, which is the victim. Woe is me. Or Mm -hmm. you're giving, 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 and you cycle back to resentment. Like, why isn't anyone giving to me? Yes. 
So like that rescue mindset is level four and you've gone up to the helper mindset, which is level five. Yes. Yeah. Very different. Very, very different, you know, and, um, it's totally, it's, it just feels better. You, you can breathe again, you know, and, and one of the first things I tell people, a lot of people don't like to follow this, but is turn off the TV. I haven't watched the news in like 20 years. So yeah. Yay. <laughs> I'm, I'm air high-fiving you. Um, cause you don't find a lot of people that don't, you know, well, maybe it's shifting now, but it used to be like, you're not in the loop then you're not educated. You're not, you don't care about the world and you're not up on current events. I mean, we can get it from social media. I say if mm-hmm. something goes down, we'll hear it. Um, or your friends or someone's going to tell you, but it's so, especially people that are like me that, that take on, um, big people, you know, things that are happening in the world. we you feel it. I think everybody does actually. I'm not trying to sound like an anomaly, but sometimes you can't let it go. If you're a type of person who can't let it go, like you start, it'll can ruin your whole day and week and you can't function because you can't literally, you know, jump on a plane and go help. Right. Right. For me, I just feel it so deeply that it's like, I feel myself crumbling. Yes. Yeah. You can't, you can't function. Yeah. And you're, and you're not effective and you're not, um, it's just not a good use of our energy and who and what we can do in the world. And mm-hmm. so for me, I can see it. It happens. I acknowledge it. Maybe later I'll, I'll try to support someone who's doing, that's their thing. Yes. That's what I've learned too, is to let people do their thing that they're good at and go find those orgs that are, are really good at what they do. Um, example I'm thinking of is I, I did go to Africa and I was in Zambia for three weeks doing some work. And, and what I went there for, I ended up coming home and my, the number one need I saw was clean water. Oh my gosh. I've never witnessed people without clean water, what it really looks like and watching kids and adults, but all these little kids running around with dirty, I don't even know what water and these bottle plastic bottles and, or drinking Coke cause Coke is cheaper than water. And, um, I was just like, this is not okay. We have, somebody has to do something. Like I came home from this trip, not going for water reasons and came home and was like, then, then I got on my computer and looked it up and it was, I don't know if you know the organization Charity Water. Mm-hmm. And so nobody knew of this back then. I think it was two years old. And I found out about Scott Harrison and he became what I call my imaginary friends. <laughs> like I printed his photo out and he went on my wall and I'm like, Scott, I get you. Because he was a founder of this, comp- this organization that brings clean water around the world. And if you don't know them, go check them out. But then I was like, okay, cool. Scott's got it. Check. Like he's going to bring clean water to Africa. I can send people to charity water. I can talk about charity water. I can support charity water however I want. But now I'm going to get back to what hard work I'm going to do. And that helps me is to find the people that are doing, do their thing, support them, send people their way, whatever. But you don't have to physically or mentally go save the world. Oh my God. I love that so much. It's like a, a higher well, like a high consciousness version of delegating. Right. Like you don't, you're not actually telling that person that's your assignment, but no. you're just like letting it go and being like, yes. no, there's somebody who's made to do this and they're doing it. I trust that they're doing it. Exactly. And find out that they're doing it. I mean, I looked into their company and I read the story and I just, then I trusted him and then I started to watch their work and I'm like, this guy's got it. Their, their orgs got it. These people are on it, you know? And so I can take that, not that more people can't do it. I mean, Matt Damon's the co-founder of an amazing um, organization that does the same thing that brings clean water, but in sanitation, which is huge, all these places that don't. And that was part of the problem with the dirty water was there's nowhere for people to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many organizations now and with, with 
information overload. There's so many people doing amazing things. You don't have to um, recreate it and do something on your own after every single cause or everything, every trauma that happens in the world. It's, it's not really your, it's not as effective to do everybody else's job. We can do it together. Yes. That also makes me think of, I mean, to take the example in a completely different direction, there are, for instance, anything with Excel spreadsheets is not what I want to do. I, that is not a good use of my energy, but there are people out there that that's super easy and fun for them. Right. There's this mentality of like, oh no, like I can't make somebody else do that. No, that's actually what they want to do. So to let somebody else do that so that I can do what is in my zone of genius. Yes. Yes. And what, and your passion in your heart and whatever. Exactly. I hear you. I'm so not a spreadsheet girl either. That's a great way to look at it though. I like that. Thinking of it like that, I've never compared world <laughs> issues to spreadsheets, but it makes sense. It's totally, it's totally true. Like we all have superpowers. Yeah. And we're all here to change the world in very different ways. Exactly. And you need that spreadsheet person on your team. Like, right. Yes. And that, and that we, you, that's why I love these when companies now are going more towards these community organizations and it's like, what's your skill set, but also what are you passionate about when you put people that with jobs that they're passionate about, they're going to show up and do their work a hundred times better. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's figured it out, but people are starting to. <laughs> yeah. When we're excited about what we're doing, well, then it feels easy. Exactly. And fun and playful. Yeah, completely. Okay. So what happened after you, after you delegated off to Scott <laughs> and took care of the water crisis? Yes. Thank you, Scott. Yes. <laughs> I say um, that in my book. I'm like, thank you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> then what was your, so did you just kind of bounce from project to project? How did this work? Yeah. So I, I actually, um, yeah, I never know where, how far back to go, but I did. I, I started to, my degrees in teaching. So I was an elementary school teacher. Um, and, but what I really wanted to do in college, but it, it wasn't a thing at my school was I used to say, I want to be a spokesperson for a company that's doing really cool work in the world. Now that doesn't sound weird. Back then I went to a traditional four-year university in Washington state and go kooks, had to say that. And, um, we, didn't have like all these creative paths. And so I kind of jumped around, wasn't quite sure, but I was like, Oh, teaching my parents were teachers and it's a, it's a night it's creative and I can work with kids and it feels like something good, like giving back, you know, that I can do and help my community. And, um, so it's kind of some, you know, I, I headed in that direction and then the jobs took forever to get. So I, my path was all windy and crazy and I started doing, uh, fostering. So like I said, I lived in a small mountain town and we had lots of dogs. I think there's more dogs than people (laughs) and very dog loving community, but we didn't have a shelter. And so what started out as fostering a dog, which became, then I adopted a couple dogs and, you know, the foster becomes your forever dog. (laughs) And then I ended up getting on the board and doing advocacy work and, and helping them with fundraising and trying to help build this shelter that was so needed because we were a no kill shelter. And I was really behind helping make that happen, even though it was like 10, 15 years in the future. So I did that. And then, um, oh, and I substitute taught, then I taught, then I lost the job because they laid off teachers and I went into dog rescue, um, work. And then I had a baby and I, 
um, started to work, I went to like a home party to get out of my house. <laughs> you know, people have those home parties. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go. I need a mom break. And I went and I'd never heard it was the body shop. I don't know if you know the company, the body shop, they yeah. have home division. Well, I knew nothing about it. I say I was a girl, never washed my face and whatever. I just went to go have fun with girlfriends. And on the table sitting in front of me was a flyer of the founder of the company, the body shop, and her name's Anita Roddick. And I opened that up and while she was doing her spiel and we're soaking our feet and all this stuff, I read about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? And I had never heard of her before. And she was basically a radical, like she was called radical back then, but she was the founder of the body shop and she was a huge activist and their company, if you don't know their company, they're based back then on, they still have the core values. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but they were like five core values, no animal testing, the source of products, community trades, um, their packaging, they were helped save the planet. They had all these values that were like, oh my gosh, these are my own personal values. And at the time I had, like I said, I had all this stuff inside me, but you don't really bring it up at the dinner party. So I thought, oh, if I sell body shop and do home parties, I'm actually invited into someone's house. I can, women are going to buy this stuff anyways. Why not share, you know, share a little bit with them? Because maybe people don't know that you can choose to buy one of two products. One helps people, one doesn't. Why not buy the one that helps people um, build their communities and, and keep the earth fantastic and not ruin the soil and all that jazz. And so I got started working for that company and it was okay. It it was a good outlet for me and I just could do it while I was home with my son. And, but then it turned into, it's like a longer story. I don't know if you want me to go into this, but it turned into, I ended up using it as a fundraising tool. And so I, that's what I did was I spent the next couple years. I was like, oh my gosh, I could have these parties and raise money for a cause or somebody in my community. And so then I would throw the party and then I would donate my commission to whatever their purchase. So it was like a win-win, like all the values got met, the women had fun, but more, I found out more people would come to the party because it did good, right? Felt good, does good. And they'd spend more money because the proceeds are going to someone local in the community or some cause that I'd shared a story with, a personal story with them. And, um, yeah, so I ended up doing that. And then eventually the super cool thing was I got nominated and won the one award for my company um, called Profits with Principles. And so because of the award, I'm not a big like I'm not a big um run after accolades person. It's not my thing. I'm not driven by that. But the cool part was I got to meet Anita Roddick. Oh so and she's one of my like, oh, like heart heroes, like um she's just one of those people, like I said, I didn't have very many examples besides Scott Harrison. And and so I met Anita, got to talk to Anita. I got to present her with something on stage. And because I presented the scarf, they let me speak. And so I got to tell her like how she impacted me by doing her work in the world and how it made a difference to me because I didn't know anyone. And Sam tear up. <laughs> she got a brain aneurysm. I can't believe I'm tearing up, but she, I, I met her right before. I went to Africa. Well, I got to know her. I got to know her. Then like a year later, I talked to her again because we were going to go to Africa. My friend and I that also worked for the body shop. And we talked to her about meeting some of the beekeepers, which was awesome. And we were trying to get connected. Like, can we go see uh, this work in action? You know, like, let's go um, while we're in Africa, seeing the country. And it's just something I always wanted to go to Africa and, and helping, um, doing some give up work. Can we meet the beekeepers? So she was trying to connect us. And literally while I'm in Africa, she, she died from a brain aneurysm. And the, the crazy thing was, I was just like that whole timing 
of, you know, like life. And I just felt so grateful. But the really cool part was while I was in Africa, I met and Anita passed and I heard about it in an email in this like little teeny cafe that had internet in this one little place we had to trek to get to this cafe. And my girlfriend and I were just in shock because we both adored Anita. And the woman we were connected with, an Af a Zambian woman in Africa named Angela, I met her and I was like, oh, she's my person. Like she was another Anita. And we met and then Anita passed. It was so weird, Kelsey. It was like the craziest thing. You know, and so, yeah, that's my long story. So I, the body shop, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you my big long story. So I, when I was then in Africa with Angela, I sat with her over, over her house. She invited us to tea, which was amazing. We were there doing, she started um, schools for orphan children. And it started as a feeding program because all these kids were in the streets. And, and then she ended up creating jobs because she found out people didn't have jobs. It turned in this, she was this amazing woman who was just, she says, <laughs> I call her like an angel. She's like, she says she was just doing what was needed. She saw what was happening in the community and said, okay, these kids are starving. We need to get them food. And it's kind of built on there. So we met with her over tea and I asked her, I said, I am trying to go home and decide what to do. Like, I am so torn. I feel like, you know, she was my then Oprah, right? Like if I could sit with Oprah, now I'm with Angela. I'm like, okay, tell me what to do. How do I pick one thing? That was my big struggle because I felt like if I chose one, like if I just keep working with the humane society, then I'm forgetting, I'm giving up on everybody else. Yeah. And she said, you know, you can never choose wrong. And that was so huge for me. And then she gave me some tips about going home. I, I was deciding between doing some work with foster kids or diving head deep into rescue work or maybe doing something with kids who were sick in the hospital because I had a son and thought about that more now. So I went home and, and I wrote the three, in a, three things on the wall. And then I just wrote down like kind of, where, which one I was drawn to. And I kept going back to foster kids. And I was like, okay, that's my thing. And I gave myself like a week. Mm -hmm. And then I just committed. And then I decided to start a nonprofit for foster kids, a creative arts wilderness retreat for foster kids. So oh, that's, <laughs> that's <not> cool. <laughs> it was really cool. It was like, uh, it didn't get a last long enough, but it, it was amazing and crazy. And um, we launched one, one program. And then I ended up moving and I actually learned so much and trying to decide what, if I'd stayed in Truckee, I would have kept it going and it eventually raised enough money to hire people. But I was a solo girl who did everything and had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So that's my journey of my, <laughs> of my, it's well, my... part of it. But then, so you ran that yes. one program and then you yes. moved. Mm -hmm. so then what happened? Oh, then I, so then I ran the program. And by the way, that was like three and a half, four years of doing that and um, was awesome. And then I moved, we moved to San Francisco and I circled back. I walked into a coffee shop and saw a card on the wall that said something about life coaching. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought about being a coach like 15 years ago. But at the time, I thought, who's going to pay me for that? Because it pairs with teaching. You know, it really does. And it was like, this is kind of my thing. And I, maybe I could help people learn coaching skills and see how that can integrate in my work. And so then I, just, so then I decided to go to coaching, went to coach training and um, became a coach. And then I just did the swim, swimmy thing of who do I want to help? What type of people do I want to help? And I did that for on and off um, 
and and my mom got sick. She got de- had dementia for ten years on and off, and so it was kind of this like my work always came like third. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I did a journey of coaching and then I would write here and there and then I'd run some classes and, and, um, but they all had a part about like, I ran a class called operation OMG and it was, um, six weeks of like doing something for yourself. Cause I'm all about no regrets, like live now, live in the moment, no regrets. So do something for yourself, like check it off, pay it forward is what it was. So when the six weeks, they were going to check something off and then do something to get back. And oh, so Yeah. And so I've always loved that whole, I didn't know how to integrate. My struggle was how do I help people who want to help people? And a lot of the people I was learning from, and I would reach out, I always wanted someone to tell me what to do with my business. And they'd say, you can't, nobody's going to pay you for that. Nobody will pay you for love. Nobody will pay you to teach about kindness. Nobody wants to pay you to volunteer. And I didn't believe it, but I would try then these other avenues. Like we just talked about, I'd go into my skill set. Okay, well, what else am I good at that I can make money? But my goal, I'm not driven by money. And so it would always die because I wasn't, I'm a person who can't do, if I'm going to put my time into something, I have to love what I'm doing, not love every minute, but I have to really deeply care about it because that's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. And if it's just something on the side, um, it, it, just to make money or whatever. It never worked for me, even though I made some really cool shit and, uh, and it, there was parts of it that were fun. It wasn't sustainable. And so, um, then I, then my coaching, I, I just kept going back. I kept fighting it, especially the whole niche world <laughs> for anyone that's, <laughs> are you good at that? Are you, no. well, you're, not, you're, you're not. Cause I was gonna say you're a triathlete. You probably have certain women that come to you. No. Uh, the people that come to me are the perfect people always. Yeah. Awesome. But, but do they find not, you? It, they're not a specific, like 33 years old no. woman who loves to run races and no. like dolphins, right? No. It, yeah. So you've probably had the same thing, have you? About yeah. the niche? Yeah. So yes, I was like, much. I get it. I get if you're super specific, people can find you. But I really am about the everyday person who wants to change the world. I don't care if you're 80 or if you're five, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's what's in your heart. It's the people that have a certain kind of heart and people that are business minded sometimes in this world. I don't think they can understand that that's a huge, that's another avenue. Um, your niche can also be a set of values. Yes. 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 So anyway, so then I started writing my book. Okay, wait. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. And so then my book was literally like, okay, I've done all this work. I've had all this experience. I've learned all these things. Um, and I wanted the book I couldn't find on the shelf. Like I literally, Kelsey, to start a nonprofit, I went to Barnes and Noble in Reno. I remember going there and I'm like, what am I doing? Like I have no degree. I have no business being here. So I grabbed the nonprofit guide for dummies. You know, that was all I had. Thank you, whoever wrote that book. Um, because it helped me and it was step by step for filing your paperwork and all the scary stuff. You know, that's I'm not a spreadsheet girl. I'm not a like write grants, but I had to do all of it. Right. And so, um, there wasn't the book, there are books on the shelf that are like heart wrenching. Like Bono had a book that I loved. I forget what's not on, not on our watch. Um, is really good. And I'd read like Julia Butterfly Hills about leaving a legacy, the woman who climbed in the tree. I had those, but I, like I said, I really wanted, I wish someone could tell me what to do. You know, that's what I would write letters to Oprah and say, can you please, I will work for you for free. I will intern. I will go on any trip you take me on and I will work so I know what to do. And so that's why I ended up with this book, Get Your Heart Wait, On. did you ever hear back from Oprah? Oh, no, I didn't hear from her, but I did fly. 
<laughs> I did go from a family vacation. I rerouted from Mexico to Chicago to audition for a TV show. They ran for a year called The Big Give. Because mm-hmm. uh, I read the description and I was like, oh my gosh, if I could write a show, this is so me. This is what this is what I want to do. And Oprah's doing it. And so I did fly there and auditioned, and that was an experience and a half. Um, and you had 30 seconds to say why you, you know, to be on the show. But you sit there for like 10 hours with all these people that, you know, half the people just want to meet Oprah and TV cameras are going. And oh my God, it was so nerve wracking. So I did pitch myself. Um, I didn't get on the show. Um, and when the show came out, it was okay. When the show came out, I saw it. I was like, oh, I would have died. They turned it into a contest. And so it ruined it for me. Like I said, I'm not driven by external. So I was yeah. like, I would have stayed with family number one and never <laughs> left until all their stuff was sorted out, you know, not run on to the next mission, you know? Um, so I think that's partially why it died, but that's my opinion. <laughs> but the cool part is I met two amazing people in line and I'm still in touch with them. And one guy I actually write about in my book and he was the guy that was standing in front of me in line at the Oprah show. Oh, that's so cool. So you were yeah. there, you thought you were there to audition for a show, but you were actually there to meet people. That's, that's what I say. I know where we're, he's awesome. Michael Bride. And he's just like, I saw him. I'm like, they're going to pick him for the show. He was so good. He has the biggest heart. And he'd been doing like, he's one of those kids that did, I mean, he's going to kill me for not remembering it, but it's some like lemonade stand when he was four to like raise money for elephants or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just this amazing guy with his hugest heart. And, uh, yeah. And I just feel so grateful. I met him and another woman named Jen and, um, Michael and I are actually really close. I just texted him last night. <laughs> we met in line at Oprah. Thank you, Oprah. So how was, how did you make the decision to write the book? I made the decision because my mom was sick and it was towards the last, she passed away three years ago, but like I said, her, her dementia started when she was 65. So it was 10 years. And I was just like, I just was dying, like depleted of, I live in California. She lives in Washington. My dad was the sole caregiver. I was trying to help from home from a long distance. And I just felt like I have to start writing to heal. Like, cause I am a person who's always journaled and, and as a little girl and wrote poems and little ditties. And, and so it's an outlet for me. And so I talked to my husband and I was like, I'm going to write a book. I don't know what it's going to be. He's a super supportive guy. And I said, in the order for me to do it, because I'm miss run around from, you know, multi-passionate, they say these days, but I love different projects and I don't always follow through. I'm very good at being a starter and a visionary. And I was like, I'm doing this. This is like, it's on my list. I'm going to write a book someday. But I thought it was like the last thing I would check off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but because of my, me needing, I think I just needed internally that outlet. Um, so I remember going to the coffee shop right down the street, I brought my computer and I was like, I'm just going to start writing and I had no agenda. And I just started writing and I would sit there and like tears would run down my face and I'd write from the heart and then I, and then I, and then all of a sudden some other story would come and I'd start writing another story. And then I kind of told you how it turned into, it was like three books is what I ended up writing. Cause they were three separate kind of topics. And I chose this one, like I said, really, cause I felt like it's so timely. I think it's so necessary. I think it's so needed. This is not to pitch my book at all. I mean, I give it to you if you can't afford it. It's about, I just deeply want to help people who want to help people. Like that is why I'm here. And if you have any spark or any inclination of integrating that more into your life in whatever way, shape or form, I think it's so necessary and needed. And I think it's the way we're going to survive. I think it's, I think it's, it's, um, it's not really an option anymore. You know, I, I 
you're about energy. You talked about your coaching being, I didn't know that that was really cool that your coaching has to do with different levels of energy. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And I just think the thing I say a lot is no one is exempt from having hard things happen. And I, when we get wrapped up in our like me, me, me world, one of the titles of my book was going to be at one point was the beginning of we, the end of me, 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 and the beginning of we. And I ditched it because elections happened around there. And I'm like, this sounds like a political campaign. But <laughs> prior to that, I'd never really heard the phrase before. And I had a blog I was going to write years before called beginning of we. And I just think if, if I can help people through my work and through talking to stories with people like you about standing in other people's shoes and taking a minute to think about what someone else might be feeling before we, we react. Um, it's that creates that, that compassion, right? And with compassion and a little bit of empathy, we begin to understand and see each other, you know, and until we can stop for a second, stop just looking, putting the lens on ourselves and we look at somebody else and say, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe, I mean, you can talk to people, listen to people, but you don't even have to. You can just imagine. Um, that's the only way we're going to change because you have to, without that empathy, then we don't care, right? We don't, there's no reason to be kind or whatever. And, and this isn't every day. You don't have to run around. This isn't like to change your life and your world and become a different person. It's really just to start noticing one another and thinking about, hey, I don't really know what they might be going through but maybe they had a hard day or maybe something's happening that I don't know about. And, you know, or maybe they're, they're really angry. They're really angry about this cause. And maybe I don't believe the same way, but let me listen to why. What's underneath that anger? Where did that come from? What's their story? What's their past? And we have too much of this um, either or thinking. You're pro this or you're anti that. And I... I try really hard, even when it's issues I don't agree with, to say, but let me stand in their shoes for a sec. Where does this come from? And I think when we can get more people to think like that and just kind of pause and start thinking as a collective that no one is exempt from hard things happening. We all know. we've. Seen, I mean, the natural disasters, all of a sudden it's your friend's friend whose house just burned down in the California fires or the flood, you know, is your, your mom's house or your childhood home. And now you care, right? And, and none of us are exempt. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing... Um, this more and I'm trying to get people to see it daily like just to think about like we're all no one's exempt everybody needs help sometime I want to help you you help me let's care about one another and that's that's the goal for me <laughs> is getting that out there there's a great quote by an amazing guy that um, runs a gang intervention program called g-dog they call him g-dog it's father Greg Boyle and it's he says there is no them and us there's only us mm. and Mm, that's in my book. I used his quote and I just, that's exactly how I feel. And I, I think it's so true. Yeah. So does your book have, do you have specific, you said you wanted like a how to book. Yes. Do you have specific steps for people it, to go through to get totally. started? Totally. See, I was an elementary school teacher mm. <laughs> and I like fun and creativity. So it's actually full of you know, it's full of like drawings and sketches. And I hired this amazing artist, Doodle. His name's and I love the cover of it. Oh, oh thank you. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a design freak. So it would have been written faster if I wasn't into the design, but I love it. I hired these amazing guys and then a doodle artist right in there. So it's very playful and fun to read. So think elementary school teacher. I write exactly like I'm talking. You'll feel like I'm talking to you. And um, that was the only way I could write it. And it's got like step-by-step. Step. So yeah, so the, it's three steps. I call it. the main chunk of it is three steps to get your heart on. And step one is to get clear. 
So what is it you want to do? And then I walk you through like brainstorming and, um, and then you decide on what you'd want to do. You pick one thing, like Angela told me, if you could pick one thing, just start with one thing and you can always change your mind. I look at me, I've done a million different things and I go into like, cause I'm a visual person. Then I think about how I want to feel cause that feeling drives me. Right. And <clears throat> so that's the beginning is to get clear on what you want to do. And then step two is making the plan. So you list, I walk people through it. I give lots of examples. I, I really spent a long time. There's not one repeated example in there, I don't think. And so I was like, what else can people do? What else can people do? So there's so many examples in there for if you have, I bust the three myths about giving back about, you know, I don't have time, I don't have money, and I don't know what to do. I break those down in little paragraphs and I give people like, if you have 30 seconds, if you have a month, if you have a year. And so, yeah, so then you make the plan and schedule it. And it's literally your plan is not what people think. Like if I had the perfect little plan to start my nonprofit and I knew everything that went into it, I would never have done it because it, it was daunting. Like I, there's no way I would have followed through. If someone said, this is what you're going to do for the next three years of your life for free and volunteer <laughs> your time. <laughs> and, and, and while you raise your baby and we were building a house at the time, I was like, uh, yeah, no. And so people think, we think we have to have this plan. And so my plan in the book is literally like helping them break down their next step. Like, okay, you found out you want to do something to help domestic violence survivors. So now what you need to do is Google the shelter in your community and ask that, look and see what they'll, they'll say on there, volunteer. And there'll be specific things you can do and see what fits within your time. If something doesn't, look for another one and then maybe choose a different cause. Or you can, then I write about ways you can just integrate it into your life. Like maybe you want to do a ride for a cause or a run for a cause, or maybe you just want to advocate and share on social media why this cause is important to you. There's so many ways so I give lots of ideas. So you make the plan. And then the step three is acting. And so I help pick one thing, baby step it, and I, I break it all down. And then I help people walk through. So the goal is to literally take the first step. That's it. Because once you take the first step, then the, the organization calls you back and they say, okay, here's our volunteer orientation. Then you go to the orientation. Then you go to the orientation and maybe you meet somebody. And maybe you, then they do something cool and you go with them and you do something else. Or you then go and say, okay, well, I'm going to start my shift next week on Thursday. And then you start your shift. And then you find out you love it. And, or you find out you don't love it. And you do something different. And so there is no need for this grand master plan. It can be really simple and integrated. So I talked to different audiences. I have a free quiz on my website. You don't have to enter email or anything. It's just called what kind of difference maker are you? And it addresses the three. Again, I went against the grain. This is not my niche because I spoke to three different niches in my book, but the, the first person's just the kindness is the kindness creator. And they're the people that just want to integrate little things. And the second person is the champion. And they're someone who knows that they want to organize a fundraising event right? They have an idea already in their head and they're just not starting it. Those people are actually my favorite because what's holding them back is just all in their head. Mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll sit with me over coffee and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to do blah, 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 blah. And they'll talk for 15 minutes and their eyes light up and they're so passionate about it because it's personal and they have all the steps planned. And then they're like, oh, but I can't because of this. And it's like, because I don't know if anyone will listen to me. I don't know if anyone will come. What if blah, 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 blah. And they're my favorite people because they already, they know and they're so driven. So those are the champions. And then the third one, I just barely touch on is the legacy makers. And those are the people like this is their work. You know, they're the spokespeople, the, the filmmakers, the um, nonprofit workers that are in it, the founders. And I talk, there's a section of my book on self-care and, and how to keep going. And when life happens, big things happen, things like that. So I get into that. 
and creating community around your cause, how to, how to retain donors and, and things like that from things I've learned. So that's the, the gist of the book, but it is very step-by-step. There's a free workbook on my website as well. People can get, so if you buy the book, I wanted to make a workbook that pulled out the, just the pieces. Cause I'm a person who likes to write on paper. Mm-hmm. So you can write in the book. I say, write in the book all you want, <laughs> but you know, it's nice sometimes to have the little, the worksheets to do. Cause my goal really is I want people to take action. Like, so just get started. So I try to do it however I can help. I didn't make an audio book yet. Cause I know people are listening. I got to do that at some point, but, um, cause not everybody has the time to sit down and read, but there is an ebook version as well. But hopefully between the workbook, the quiz, and the quiz doesn't just tell you what kind of difference maker you are. It gives you examples and it also tells you where you might get stuck. Mm. So kind of some places to look out for. It sounds, it sounds like such an amazing way, Gia, to, to make a ripple, to like put this book out in the world and then there's just going to be a tidal wave of change makers. That's the goal. You just described it. I love the tidal wave. I had a thing I started long, uh, quite a few years ago called Revolution Super Love. And, I, and that's exactly how I saw it. It was like, I said like a ripple of kindness, intentional kindness and goodness going from one caring person to the next. Mm-hmm. And then one more person raises their hand and says, sign me up. You know, hey, what about me? Hey, I want to join. And you picture like, I used to be a cheerleader, you know, the wave like going all through, all through the world of all these people that are like, sign me up. I want to be part of this revolution super love. I want to jump on that train. I want to do my, my thing in my way. You know, all different people's all walks of life, all different causes. And so I love that tidal wave. Exactly. That's, that's what you're starting. That's what you have started. <laughs> uh, that's the goal. That's the goal. There's a lot of people. I mean, so many people care and so many people want to do stuff. And I just, I just want to help them light that fire. Mm, and that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> How can people, where can people buy the book? How can people take the quiz, yeah. get the worksheet, anything See? else? Super easy, super easy. It's my website is just my name, Gia, G-I-A, Duke, D-U-K-E. Uh, giaduke.com and on there it's pretty straightforward I think right at the very top it says take the quiz um, or it's in the tabs um, buy the book take the quiz I have uh, 15 minute free sessions I give people so if you want to sign up for those right now I'm just doing them on Fridays and they're literally no agenda jump on with your question for me if you heard this and you're like oh I wish I could just ask her this one thing if I can help you in any way shape or form pop on there. And then there's some, you can work with me one-on-one. Um, I have two specific offers for two of the different types of people. Um, if we need to like, you really need that like jab, like I was saying, you've got this idea and you're not starting and you want that one-on-one. Um, I just want to help people however I can. So everything is there. My website, my, I'm on Instagram more than, well, I do Facebook too, but just Gia Duke. It's easy. I'm the same everywhere. Just Instagram, Facebook. I'm not anywhere else. (laughs) That's perfect. That is perfect. And of course we'll put everything in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Gia. It has been such a joy to be in your energy. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate this conversation style and what you're doing. Like I said, I've been listening to your show for the past couple of weeks when I first found out about you and um, just love what you're about and what you're creating as well. So super grateful to be here and to meet you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app 
and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.